to the Weird Warriors podcast. I am Max. I am Rich. And on this podcast, we will be taking a look at the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. On this episode, we are taking a look at specifically Weird War Tales number 16. Can you but, believe we've made it to 16 issues? <laughs> 16 <laughs> issues, something like 20 episodes. What was the over-under on this when we got started? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, like, I, I wouldn't have given it long odds um, for, for my attention span, just because I like to start a million things. But here we are. So before we dive into issue uh, 16, we've got a little bit of retroactive history slash mini Road Warriors update to cover. Don't yes, we, Rich? Yes, we do. <laughs> kind of joking about this i mentioned this uh, in passing once or twice in previous episodes about uh one of my hobbies being world war ii reenacting and yes ladies and gentlemen i did finally browbeat max into attending his very first world war ii reenactment this fall the collings foundation in eastern massachusetts near boston the battle for the airfield killjoy and kilroy see the pics what did you think, Ming? Well, first of all, as far as browbeating, you, you, you came to an event that was, you know, a pretty short drive from where I live. What, an hour? If. Yeah. So my choices <laughs> that weekend were drive like three and a half hours to go to New York and, you know, visit my family or drive like a half hour and hang out with you guys for the day and check out some tanks. So, um. Yeah, yeah, you know, it finally happened. You know, the stars aligned and whatnot. But as far as um, what I thought of it, I mean, when I I wasn't really sure exactly how much to expect as far as the staging ground of it. But what I dug was you guys had, and I, we didn't really explore both camps, but you were part of the Allied forces, so you guys had like your tents and your encampment set up pretty. Not, I wouldn't say realistically, but pretty authentically with like artifacts and signs. And, you know, you guys were actually sleeping outside the night before in your tents. So it looked like a force camped out in the field. And, you know, you, you walk into there and it was other than people whipping out their iPhones to take pictures and stuff. And all of us, you know, civilians cruising through like tourists. It was pretty immersive. And that was, that was cool to see, you know, I, I had a, I had a blast just checking all that stuff out. And of course, while we're going through it and everything, this was a battle, like I said, that involved some tank action. So they were sort of were like rolling the tanks back into the woods when I got there, because they had done like, you guys had done one run through of the combat before I showed up. I showed up for like act two. And so you guys were just sort of like that, that battle was just ending as I parked my car. So I got to see these tanks kind of gingerly backing into the woods and, 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 you know, just people standing around while, while that was going on, like little kids walking up, watching these tanks go right by them. So that was cool. Yeah. I, I just liked like the atmosphere in general. And there was this dude that was manning like kind of the radio station sort of playing, playing like period tunes and stuff. The and dad then, jokes. Yes. And he was just <laughs> dropping these horrible, these horrible. beautifully <laughs> horrible dad jokes the whole time throughout, just occasionally firing them out. And they, sometimes he would have a little kid on that was doing the, the jokes with him or telling their own little jokes. So he was a trip. We got a picture next to his, uh, his little station because he had a giant 
Kilroy signed up. So I had to get, you know, a photo of you next to that. Kilroy and Kilroy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it, it was really cool. There were a lot of people there, though. I really didn't expect that much of a turnout, you know, even though it's people, some people think it's, you know, post COVID times. It's not, but it was an outdoor event, but man. There were a lot of cars there. It so. was Saturday was the nicer of the two days. They didn't have this event last year. And even even the people that put the show on were like, wow, there are a lot of people here this year. Yeah, I think it's probably like people pent up. Like, as you mentioned, there, there were events that didn't happen one cycle ago. So people were just desperate to get out, you know? So it makes sense. The highlight for me was um, for, for people listening, Rich has this replica bazooka <laughs> that he picked up in a mall ages ago. It, it, it's, it's not a replica. It's a real one. It's just been demilitarized. But, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, a replica is not the right word. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's deactivated. So it, yeah. it doesn't work, but it was a real bazooka at one point in time. And you picked that up at some, was it at the yeah, it was, it, it, park? Yeah. That, that's where the stories that tell people. Cause you know, I, I bought this thing with a shell in a mall. And I didn't know this thing came apart. So here I am walking out of a ball do, 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 <laughs> with a rocket launcher. <laughs> Try that today and see how far you get, right? But I've had this thing since, God, I was like, what, 19 or 20 years old, I think. I've had this thing for ever. Oh, yeah. I, I took a picture, which you'll probably put up on the, the Facebook page there, of you with it, with your Punisher shirt on way back in the day. Yeah. Rocket launcher in one hand, Newsy in the other, all <sighs> Yeah. You know, long enough ago where both of us had different color hair. <laughs> More brown than gray. Yeah. So so that thing was easily the highlight of of your camp, as far as I could tell. Like as soon as people caught sight of that thing, you had little kids posing with it. You had the the parents standing by who were just as eager to get their hands on 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 the bazooka as the kids. It it was just so cool watching people line up to play with this thing you, you know just to hear all about it and everything I, it, it was it was kind of cool i felt like uh you know for a little while i was training in college to be a um to, to be a teacher and all of a sudden i felt like back when we were training on how to hold classes and stuff you know and how to teach kids and all that it, it was just a trip to see everybody united around this thing it was like the kind of ultimate crowd pleaser you know, I didn't oh, yeah. see anybody else gathered at any of the other tents or whatever in those kinds of groups, all waiting in line essentially to get their hands on something. Yeah, and there, there was a line. And like I said, there's a shell that came with it, and I could give them the loaded weight if they thought they could, if they if they thought they could handle the loaded weight. Some of these kids are pretty small, so I'd be standing behind them, like with one hand, kind of like supporting the muzzle or something like that so they don't fall over backwards or something. So it's it's fun because the kids go, then you look at the dad. And I've been doing this so long, I could tell. It's like, you want to do it too? And the dad's like, yes. <laughs> so here it is, you know, look through the scope, you know, this is how you, you know, figure out how far things are, you know, through the scope uh, for like range finding and everything. This is the loaded weight. This is how it does. This is how it comes apart. The thing is like amazingly popular. Yeah. My favorite moment with the bazooka was when it was a very small young little girl. Like she looked like Susie or Cindy Lou who from, you know, <laughs> from like the Grinch stole Christmas. She had the bazooka and I think a helmet on. 
Mm-hmm. And her mom was was like standing right in front of her. And there was a couple of older dudes standing next to me just passing by. And I said, the little crack I made, because they stopped to take a picture of the little girl. I said, uh, bedtime is negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> so Gotta that get was for Christmas, right, Dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite um, moments of of the bazooka demo. As far as the reenactment, um, it's still me. So like I said, there were a lot of cars there. So you guys split to go start the next uh, roundup and I took off. <laughs> I I headed out. I didn't want to wait in a two hour line or whatever to get out of the place. So I enjoyed walking around and, and, you know, checking out everything in the camps. And Rich and I did take a tour around sort of the German side. And I saw the tanks moving around in the woods and whatnot. And then it's like I said, it's still me. I was just like, ah, going to be a long line to get out of this place. I told you when you could <laughs> wait to leave. It's like, oof. When you see the American infantry move out, that's the beginning of the last act. That's when you hey, want. <laughs> I, 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 I got there. I did a lot of things. <laughs> One step at a time. So yeah, if I'm not supervised, I just can't be trusted essentially. So that's that's our pseudo retroactive history and our, um, our many Road Warriors update. Before I get into more trouble, we're going to take a small podcast promo break. And when we get back, we'll take a look at the issue we came here to talk about. You said I was a liar. I'm not. People think you are good, but you are bad and hard-hearted. I'll let everyone know what you have done. I am a free human being with an independent will which I now exert to leave you. To marry you would kill me. I'm a badass woman. What's wrong with that? Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. Join me, Stella, as I look at the legacy of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte through the lens of its varied and various interpretations. TV, film, radio, theater, sci-fi, erotica? Pun intended. Does Jane Eyre transcend culture, time, place, and galaxy? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can't ignore, you can't ignore no more. I'm a badass woman. And we are back. So now that we've done our promo for another fascinating and awesome podcast, Rich will hit us with the cover details for this issue. Art once again by Luis Dominguez. The mystery and madness of weird war tales is still yours for 20 cents. The yellow title sits on a dark blue background. On the edges of the cover's foreground, two Nazi soldiers in a hole watch six American soldiers charge towards them, the five in the background partially concealed by smoke and exploding shells, with a death's head cloud behind them. The hands of a third Nazi in the cover's center are sticking a pin into the chest of a voodoo-type doll. The sixth GI, leading the charge, is in the same pose as the doll, dropping his weapon and in obvious pain. Date of release is August 1973 on sale May 15th, 1973. Diving into Killjoy. Again, no swastika arm armbands were worn in the field. The wearers were targets. And they're both different. And they're both wrong. One is black on red. 
on black, the other is black on red on white. How hard is black, white, red, people? Comments and commendations. The point is obvious and probably necessary, but I like the similarities between the poses of the doll and the soldier. The cover is heavy in blues and greens, so the yellows and tans of the doll and the soldier really draw your eyes to them. Hey, everyone, look at this. Yeah, it's it's another well-drawn, well-designed, and well colored cover for sure it, it really works i like it however it makes me think of that meme that's gone around lately about how when i was a kid tv convinced me that quicksand was going to be much more of a problem than it turned out to be and i feel like the same is true of voodoo dolls not that i ever believed in them but for a while there they seemed to be getting used as plot devices in just about every medium and then one day they were just gone like in tv shows and movies someone have a voodoo doll you know and now just gone so maybe it was all the cultural appropriation and racism behind the trope i don't know but that, that thought just occurred to me like oh yeah you, you never see the old voodoo doll plot device anymore huh remember those uh, to pay for your chin masculine ads we mocked earlier send a sample of your hair and leave the matching to our expert yeah how about i don't <laughs> yeah, maybe there's the link. Maybe we finally figured out what's behind the masculiner as they were supplying the people who needed to make voodoo dolls, you know, and that that once those ads disappeared, the voodoo doll link was broken. So the only thing other thing I'll mention a little early on here, spoilers kind of, but this is a good cover, but there's absolutely like I was mentioning no voodoo dolls today. There's no voodoo dolls inside this comic book either. So it's the first time there's a major mismatch between the cover of an issue of Weird War Tales and the content. So that's just something of note for me that usually there's some link like it you know one issue there's you know the issue i was just listening to today that that, that had come out you know the whatever um where you had monstrous vampires on the cover and inside they never looked like that but at least there were vampires this time nothing so that aside i will let rich take us into the first story that does not feature a voodoo doll in the issue more dead than alive eight pages written by Arnold Drake, art by Alfredo Alcala. And we're just going to, the story gives us me an awesome little Rod Serling opportunity here, so I'm going to make the most of it. The Replacement. A man brought in to take the place of a military casualty. Rarely gets a warm reception to the other men. He is a constant reminder of their fallen buddy. But Corporal Stacy had more than that going against him. Every part of his own body was the enemy in this remote battlefield of the Weird War. <laughs> Corporal Stacy, replacement, has his arm blown off in the same skirmish that Kadinsky is killed. Only a week later, Stacy is back with the unit, arm in a sling. No one can believe his luck, having seen the original injury. When the bandages are removed, O'Toole is horrified to see Kadinsky's mom tattoo on Stacy's repaired arm. When he starts freaking out, the Sarge slaps him. A heart with mom inside? Must be a million of them. You got a bad case of nerves. Before the issue can be addressed further, German ski troops attack. O'Toole is killed, and Stacy is near cut in half by German fire. But a week later, Stacy is walking around the hospital. A female surgeon, Dr. Martell, is responsible for patching him up, and Stacy proudly shows off her work to the medics that brought him in. But one of the medics sees a mole on Stacy's left ankle. 
O'Toole had one at the same place. Two weeks later, Stacy is running to catch a truck that's moving out to the front. The Sarge is shocked to see him and says, O'Toole was right about you. Stay away from me. German artillery suddenly destroys the truck, killing the Sarge and taking one of Stacy's brown eyes. At the hospital, Stacy soon has one brown eye and one blue. They keep asking questions, Dr. Martell, Stacy warns, but the surgeon explains the technique she's developed that transplants parts of recently dead men into live ones is extremely radical. It can't be announced yet. Reporting to the captain after being released from the hospital, the captain notices Stacy's mismatched eyes and grabs him, calling him a damned Frankenstein. But before he can get any answers, the big German attack they've been expecting happens. A tiger tank is rumbling across the front, and Stacy goes out with a grenade to get it, ignoring orders to take cover. A burst of gunfire catches Stacy in the chest. At the hospital, Martel regretfully tells Stacy both of his lungs have been hit. There's no fresh donor corpse in the morgue either. Nothing can be done. Stacy snaps, saying he went after the tire because he thought he couldn't die. She had to fix him. He starts to strangle her, and Martel's cohort, Dr. Bryce, has to kill Stacy to save her. Martel is paralyzed from the neck down, so Bryce removes her head and lungs and places them in Stacy's body. She makes a full recovery. Killjoy, page seven, panel one. Don't pull grenade pins with your teeth, Stacy. Your teeth will come out before the pin does. I've thrown enough of them to know. Page seven, panel two. Where'd the grenade go? He actually caught this one. I didn't. Stacy's arm is blown off the elbow, but then it's stitched back on at the shoulder later on. Page two, panel four. Uh, maybe they just cut the stump off of the shoulder to make the attachment neater? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you do your comments and commendations first there, man. Yeah, the art is, is great throughout. Of course, I I liked the art and every panel of this was fantastic. I I dug it. But I mean, nothing beats the utter weirdness of that closing panel before the host comes back in. And with that, um, just her head pinched on top of of Stacy's body is so freaking weird, (laughs) you know, so to speak. But yeah, that that um, that final surgery, like the other doctor, so took Martel's lungs, put them in Stacy's torso, and then attached Martel's head to Stacy's neck and called it a day. I mean, of course, there were no organ rejections to worry about all this time, so why not, I guess? Yeah, I'm not going to think about it too hard, but that the way that drawing looks with the sheer disconnect between the size of her head, how the neck looks pinched on, everything, it kind of did make me think about this is actually quite complicated what they've been doing. This is messed up. <laughs> so for sheer illustrative purposes, the final panel on page six with Stacy walking out to meet the tank, you know, against everyone telling him to take cover is really well done uh, with the winter scenery and everything. Just an excellent drawing outside of any context. It just shows off the artist's chops right there. I, I, I really like that. Yeah, page one, panel one. I mean, just like you see... Stacy's arm being blown off. It's a hell of a start to the book. <laughs> I mean, yep, just hit the ground boom. running. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, just like, wow, that, that happened. Okay. Uh, the one eyed uniformed death that we saw in issue 14 is back as the story narrator. Alcala was the inker in both. So the style is identical and a great touch. And again, you know, just like, like what you said, page eight, panel five, 
Dr. Martell's head on Stacy's body is just too creepy. The neck bandage seems too tight. Just <laughs> not a good look. Yeah, that's the kind of like final panel that I really dig in a cheesy horror comic. You know, just visually disturbing, utterly unbelievable, but effective. You know, that's what, of, that's what we're aiming for right there. Yeah, hell of a good start. Hell of a good start. <laughs> yep, hell of a good start. And then... We have Stay the tuned, next folks. story, which I guess uh, <laughs> I'll take. Yours. Yeah, I'll take this one. Because someone has to. <laughs> yep. This one is called The Conquerors. It's also eight pages long. It's written by Jack Olek with art by Alex Nino. So here we go. Synopsis is as follows. Earth had no chance when the aliens invaded. Man fought back, but it was a doomed defense. Millions died. The aliens intended to burn the planet clean. No survivors must interfere with colonization. But incredibly, there were survivors. The aliens were shocked and ordered the survivors to be rounded up for study. Prisoners were docile, like cattle, obediently shuffling around the spacecraft to be taken to the alien homeworld. Day after day, they sat, unmoving and silent in their cells. It started to get on the alien guards' nerves, in fact. One of the guards went into the cell and started whipping the prisoners, but Still got no response. Two weeks into the light speed flight, the prisoners finally stirred. Two guards were killed. A panicked report to the bridge via intercom. Then the prisoners simply walked onto the bridge. A laser blast to the chest of the first prisoner had no effect. The alien commander, somehow paralyzed, told the prisoners that although they've somehow captured his ship, they'll be cut down when the ship arrives at the home planet. The leader of the prisoners laughed and admitted he's grateful to the aliens. The fires they had unleashed on the planet Earth had burned everything. Steel, stone, and the stakes through all of their hearts. We should be very content on your planet, Commander. What better place for us than a world that has never even heard of vampires? <laughs> <laughs> there we go hit him with some killjoy oh on come on man vampires in daylight again and although the fires destroyed the stakes in their hearts it somehow left their clothing intact incredible hulk purple pants 101 <laughs> yeah i i can see them having maybe rustled up some clothes from other places maybe if i'm stretching real hard for them but yes what is with the day walking vampires in weird war tales we've seen this a few times now where they're like, I don't know, maybe the twist is they're vampires. And they're just like, but what about the whole time with the hay and the sun and the... <laughs> yeah, it, it's just become a Weird War Tales tradition at this point. Um, you know, the, the, the vampires with sunscreen or whatever it is. So... That's that, man. I'll, I'll let you head off the comments yeah. and commendations for this one. Yeah, although I appreciate the twist ending, the pacing of this story was awful. It just seemed to go on and on and on. I'm sure two pages could probably have been eliminated and it still would have told the tale respectively. The horrible pink and black bodysuits the aliens wore made me th want to wrap this tale up faster. It's the 70s, so they're probably polyester. <laughs> that said, I like the scenes of devastation on pages one and two. New York, Paris, Moscow, and London burn great panels. Yeah, we still have Alex Nino on art, so design choices notwithstanding, the 
the, the actual drawings are still really good. So yes, the twist ending was dumb in a bad way, as we have mentioned. And like you said too, the writing particularly in the narrative captions, but also in the word balloons, was so stilted and repetitive that it made the story a chore to read. It was it was actually more fun to synopsize that one than to <laughs> read it. You know, it, that felt like a better story as I was reading the synopsis. I'm like, oh yeah, this one's kind of fun, but reading it was kind of torturous. Better editing was needed at least. I liked the art. I, 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 as I said, I didn't mind the garish coloring of the aliens' outfits that much but the designs of the aliens themselves their physical designs were just dopey and uninspired they looked like i, I don't know they looked like the who's i'll keep the grinch thing going that from from uh how the grinch stole christmas like what if they militarized they didn't look that threatening or scary at all they should have looked a little more fearsome that might have helped things a bit with the story um as for the art, you picked out the cool devastation panels, so I'll go with the interior design of the spaceship itself, which really looked good, as well as the first and last panels of the final page. We have a very Jack Kirby-esque space scene with all kinds of crackling and, and, and light shows going on in what should just be boring, empty space. And even though the twist is super dumb, I like the drawing in the final panel a lot where they reveal themselves as vampires. That was really well done. So, you know, dumb, dumb twist ending, but not the worst Weird War tale story I've ever read. So I'll leave that one up to you coming up next. Which might be this one. <laughs> <laughs> Evil Eye, seven pages, written by Arnold Drake, art by Alex Nino. Two weeks ago, the 113th engineers started rebuilding a bridge that Germans had destroyed. They decided to also rebuild the Church of St. Justin for the local Italian people. Justin was a priest who supposedly drove a nest of witches from the town in 1436, and it's believed that the church still protects the town. A local man accosts a gypsy boy picking through the garbage and tries to run him off. But Captain Lombardi takes a shine to the kid, named Mike. The man tries to warn him that the boy has the evil eye and that he invites the devil, but Lombardi disregards the warning. Mike asks Lombardi about why the Americans are rebuilding the church, but doesn't seem too happy about it. As the church is rebuilt, accidents start happening. Falls, electrocutions, amputations. As the sick list piles up, the men start noticing the kid is there every time something happens. They start believing the old man's warning about the boy being a witch. A German mountain patrol tables the argument for now. The Americans destroy the scout, then hurry back to defend the bridge against the enemy follow-up. The boy is there, chanting. As they cross the span, the bridge suddenly starts to violently sway, despite there being no wind. The bridge snaps, sending the 113th tumbling into the river below. Weeks later, the Germans have finished repairing the bridge. They decide to rebuild the church to endear themselves to the populace. And Mike walks up to Hauptmann Kruger and asks about the church with a disarming smile. I'm going to dive into a combination. Killjoy was here in history minute. Uh, some of the GIs in this story are wearing camouflage helmet covers. This was actually pretty rare in Europe because the Germans had camouflage helmet covers too. And you didn't need a friendly fire incident in the heat of battle. Also, I can find no record of a St. Justin from 1436. There was a Justin Martyr that died in 165 AD who was a Christian apologist and philosopher, but obviously not the same guy. Unless he was a vampire. 
time traveling vampire. <laughs> time traveling <laughs> vampire. Like a walk around daylight. Yes. This weird war tales, man, we're going for it. So I'll take the dubious honor of comments and commendations. Uh, first point here. And this was not the best not good at all, really, as far as Weird War Tales stories or really any comic book stories go. Again, the synopsis sounds better than it read. And we've got plenty, if you were you know, listening carefully there, plenty of good old-fashioned old comics man racism going on. It's like, don't pick on the poor gypsy boy. Don't call him a witch. Oh, wait, he totally is a witch. Isn't that a great twist? No. No, it is not. <laughs> it's very bad. <laughs> to have, you know, first of all, we we don't we don't say gypsy anymore, but this was the 70s. So that's sort of you can kind of scoot past that. But then to have the twist be, well, of course the little you know Romani boy is a witch. Don't you know that? You know, look at him, he's just killing people left and right. So eh. Didn't really enjoy that part of the story. I don't think I would have as a kid because it's just like, of course he's evil because he's a gypsy i've never liked that kind of thing so i generally dig arnold drake as everyone knows but this one did not age well also i usually love alex nino's artwork again as anyone who's listened to this podcast would know but this story looked like he rushed through the whole thing a whole lot of big panels, very low detail, especially on the kid's face and close-ups to the point where it almost looked like something I could pull off, which isn't saying much. And just some uninteresting layouts in general, which is usually a strong point of Nino's page design. This is the stinker of the issue for me easily and possibly of the series even. Really didn't like this one. Yeah, I liked the the skeletal death sitting on the ground and playing the squeeze box in page one, panel six, and on page three, panel five, the silhouettes of Mike and Lombardi in front of the wrecked church with the stained glass windows providing a small splash of color. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I was glad you called out the the death host with the uh, squeeze box slash accordion because that was the only highlight for me as I just imagined that guy playing the accordion all through the story in the background like they should have drawn him in the corner of each panel like just going to town on the little squeeze box but they didn't and I had to invent that in my own mind to get through the story so that's that's how bad that was so skating away from that lovely little uh how many pages was that that was seven pages of fun we're going to go off to uh, oh, like 70. Yeah. Felt like, felt like 70. This, it, oh my God. So we're going to scoot off to uh, maybe something more enjoyable. The APO weird war tales letters page, rich, take the lead. Yeah. Such as it is uh, slim pickings. This issue, not even a full page of missives. Tom Carl of Buffalo, New York picks up where three people who wrote in last issue left off asking about the war mystery balance in the title and at DC. Carl notes that DC has more mystery books than war and that they should stick to their strengths. Joe Orlando puts it out to the readers. Wonder what they're going to do. Yeah, I, um, I picked up on John Elliott of New York City. He writes in to say that the art for Weird War Tales number 11 was mediocre. That's the issue length story in which German von Kraus uh, ends up being the single immortal inhabitant of an abandoned earth. That one, that's the issue with the mediocre art. I, 
feel like he looked at a very different comic book than I did. That was that was what stood out to me when he mentioned in issue 11, the art was mediocre at best or whatever it is he said. I was just like, I had to flip back and think, well, maybe. And I look back and I'm like, no, not that issue. That, that issue was a freaking home run. So had a time traveling mouse. <laughs> <laughs> time traveling mouse, a dude who ends up the an inhabitant of an abandoned earth. That's just like, you know, a Christmas story for weird war tales. Like what? And, and, you know, the story could have been that great and the art could have been mediocre, but it's right there. The art and that issue was fantastic. So yeah. Yeah. Weird war tales. At least there was one, one letter that got me a little bit upset, which is cool. You know, at least I, there was that. I, I even like the letters that, that sort of cheese me off because that's, that's part of the fun for me anyways. Ren of Ren and Stimpy said, but I, I like being angry. So we'll move on to uh, our spotlighted ads in this issue and see if we can't salvage a bit of the spiral we're in here. So, okay, we have covered this sort of thing before, but in the back of this book, there's this ad for a Daisy BB gun. And yes, it's got the usual sexist nonsense of only ever mentioning boys as the prospective owners of said weapon, but... Most perplexing to me about this ad is the entire tone of the thing. The whole top of the full-page ad shows a black-and-white photo of an abandoned bicycle lying on its side on a sidewalk, strewn with fallen autumn leaves. The text of the ad compels the young boys who might desire to own a Daisy BB gun to reflect on the promises they made to their parents when they got their first bike and how those promises must be made again in order to be worthy of the responsibility of owning a Daisy BB gun. It's, it's just weird. It almost looks like an ad for like a kidnapped child, you know, <laughs> and it has that very somber tone. And it just, it makes me wonder, did something happen where Daisy got in a little bit of legal trouble and they had to put out an ad that stressed the safety issues of owning a BB gun. Cause this comes out of nowhere. These, these other BB gun ads we've seen are always about like, you know, training your kid to be a miniature John Wayne and get out there and live the rugged life and, you know, to have the boys adventure. And this one's all like, consider the somber responsibility of a pellet gun. So that stood out to me. So <laughs> there we go. I had an ad that I really dug even just for the sheer weird tone of it all. Yeah, I'm sorry. This issue sucked. Two bodybuilder ads, two mini military games ads, two CIE ICS get a job in electronics ads, sell some Christmas cards, get a Raquel Welch pillow. We've already covered most of these. I finally settled on the Prez comic ad, which has always caught my eye, but is nothing I ever actually picked up. I was surprised to discover Joe Simon and Jerry Grandinetti created it. That said, it apparently sucked. It only lasted four issues before being canceled. First teen president of the USA. Elected after the voting age was lowered to 18 in March 1971 by the 26th Amendment. And teens came out in droves to elect one of their own. Yeah, never mind that whole minimum age to be president is 35 thing. This is probably the first history minute I've ever had in an ad slot. <laughs> yeah, but see, you found something. Prez is, is one of the great you know, weird artifacts of this period in DC history. It wasn't a hit, didn't even last that long, but people constantly refer back to it just for how strange it was. You know, uh, it's just that, that 
it was cool to see an ad for that. But like you mentioned, bodybuilders, the mini military, the get a job, Christmas cards, all that stuff. And we got day walking vampires. Are we starting to enter the weird war tales rut here, even in ad content? Like are some of the tropes becoming a little too repetitive? That'll be interesting to keep an eye on if the book starts leaning on certain things, you know, maybe ads is just what's available you know, at the time and some things are going to repeat forever, but I'm thinking more like story content. Will certain things become like, Oh man, one of these again. Cause I certainly remember that reading, um, creepy and eerie magazine back in the day, which was like this black and white anthology horror story magazine, a couple of them from Warren publications. There were some where even as a kid, you're like, ah, he's going to be a werewolf. Yep. There it is. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So that'll, that'll be cool to keep track of. So I feel like the ads you know, it took some effort, but we found two good ones. So I think it's on an upswing here. But anyway, we'll we'll take stock in uh in our little section called Got Any Last Words. Yeah, this issue started really strong with more dead with more dead than alive than flatlined. This the remaining stories, ads, letters, page were all a disappointment to me. I want to go to issue 17 now to get the taste out of my mouth. Yeah, got to agree. I mean, one pretty good if goofy story, which would have been just fine in any other issue of Word War Tales, you know, more dead than alive. I'll take it. But but then one, you know, very dumb, if well drawn tale, followed by a total dud. Worst issue of original material yet. Onward is what I say. So where we'll go onward to, to uh, get that taste out of our mouths is to something much more pleasant, the dead letter office where we take a look at listener feedback and likes and shares and stuff like that from good old social media. And uh, this time around, Gmail. (gasps) Email? We got email? People have been, someone has been using the Gmail address at last. So we're talking about mostly here, episode 13, in which we took a look at Weird War Tales number 12. And over on Gmail, we got Billy Delicious, one of our earliest and, and most ardent supporters, writing in. And, you know, he must have heard me complaining about no one using the Gmail. And he said, hey, guys, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, loving the show, looking forward to more. He mentions that the ads and letter segments are awesome and what he looks forward to most. So I think we did a good job of salvaging those sections in this episode. So (laughs) you're welcome, Billy. There you go. Uh, Keep up the good work, he says. Thanks for all the love on Twitter as well, because Billy, with his buddy Herman, hosts a few podcasts that I am a a huge fan of their work. They do Into the Weird, Long Box of Darkness, Magazines and Monsters, uh, the All-Star Squadron podcast called The World on Fire, Star Rocket Radio about Infinity Inc. You think we're busy, man. They do like five shows and they come out on a regular basis. Let's see here. And Billy mentions, he says he totally agrees. He totally gets rather that Johnny Quest reference. That episode has two very rough comments by Race Bannon. So you monkeys. <laughs> people have seen the Akizio episode. <laughs> <laughs> of Johnny Quest out there. Uh, and we're we're talking right to the to the to the market here. Like the the age group and everything is is listening. Now, also on Gmail, we've got a new listener here who is really doing uh, something cool over on Weird Warriors podcast at gmail.com. His name is Jason Zeller. And what he is doing is he just started listening to the show. He's going through every episode and writing in 
as he listens to them. So he gives us feedback on the first three episodes here. And first of all, I, I really appreciate that level of effort and uh, giving me something to read and going back that far. It's cool to think back on episodes that long ago and get someone's fresh impressions of them. And Jason brought up something here that was uh, that we do have to, I think we need to look into. So let's see here. He starts off one of his emails and says, first off, did either of you notice that at the bottom of page one, it says volume two, number three? I assume because it is now the next year, otherwise not sure why it is considered volume two. So I usually know a lot of minutiae about comic book publishing, but I, I'm not really aware of changing a volume number midstream when no interruption in publication has happened. So that's something I'll have to look into and, and see why it says that on issue three. It says volume two, number three, because there was no Weird War Tales before they started with issue one, and there wasn't much of a pause between one and three. So that's, that's just a good eagle eye note. That, that, that missed our uh, usually quite <laughs> over-analytic eyes here. So Jason Zeller doing an awesome job coming in and answering the call to give me stuff to read on the Gmail address and uh, just really thankful for that. Over on Twitter, we got some of our usual crowd giving us likes and shares and retweets and stuff like that. We got Iowa's Joe, who now calls himself Iowa's Joe in the 80s. We got... Dr. Pop, uh, Dr. Pop Culture, BGSU. We got Chris at BTO and Bat Books. We have Martin Gray, uh, the great Martin Gray. We got Charlie White Tiger Cancel. Uh, that's a new one for me, I think, relatively new, and I'm not sure if I'm mangling Cancel, but he's got, he's got a little accent over the E there. He is at Urban Urbane on Twitter. So give him, give him a follow, people. We got Dave's Comic Heroes blog. We got, as I was mentioning, The Long Box of Darkness and Into the Weird with Billy D and Herman. We've got The Telltale Mind. We got Billy D himself, Doc Strange. And over from the Earth 2 podcast, we have Dave Steele on Twitter. We have uh, our buddy Clinton Robinson from Coffee and Comics stops by. Give us a little love. And over on Facebook, we have Lee Sullivan. Billy D coming over to the Facebook area, check out some pictures. We've got Ken Boutillier, who did that independent comic Zendagi I really like, and he's got some new stuff coming out from Lucky Comics pretty soon. We've got David Steele and Peter Watson from the Earth 2 podcast stopping by as well. That is the dead letter office this time around. I mean, a big news for me is I have to actually remember to check the Gmail address from here on out. So I got to watch what I say, you know? <laughs> so that being We've been done, bitching for so long about no one sending email, <laughs> no one sending email. <laughs> I should have known I was just giving myself something to do, but you know, I, I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah, what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. So dead letter office out of the way. Rich is going to take us to the teaser for the next episode to come. Weird War Tales 17 is our 20th soul-searing episode. It's what you're here for. War on the Clouds, a man who loves his rifle, a full letters page. What else could you possibly want for 20 cents? Yeah, there you go, man. It's almost like they're trying to make it up to us. <laughs> That's good. So our 20th episode... Good Lord, that's coming up. And this, this is our first episode that's going to come out in the year 2022. This is our first episode of the new year. Uh, we've already crossed over from one year to the other. Again, if I hadn't brought you on board to, to keep me from drifting off to 20 other things, 
this wouldn't have happened. But, you know, you certainly wouldn't have gotten into the new material. <laughs> no, no, probably not. We probably wouldn't have made it to the past issue seven at, at the at the farthest, really. But we're here and we intend to keep on going. We intend to do a lot of things. And we also, <laughs> as always, promise to make war. No more.